In studio with us this morning, Chief Bryce Burley with Hutchinson Police and Chief Steve Beer with the Hutchinson Fire Departments. And uh, I'm going to let Chief Beer gloat first before I, as I open, um, because uh, fire won once again. The Battle of the Badges final numbers came in last night. So, so that trophy, do you, do, do you paint around it now? Has it been there long enough? Oh, jeez, Nick. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's all good fun. You know, each and every day we give each other a little, uh, uh, little hard time out on the streets between crews, and uh, it's just it's a good time. But you know, really, at the end of the day, you look at the numbers. What three hundred some pints of blood raised? Over nine hundred and fifty people are our lives potentially saved with that and really at the end of the day that's what it's all about it is and and really good to to meet the goal uh of the drive to begin with because the month of january um with the weather the way that it was was just so hard on blood donation not only here locally but across the country and and you guys see it at every scene yeah, no doubt about it, Nick. And and that's that's typical Hutch. Hutch people step up when uh, when there's a need, whether it's uh, some type of natural disaster on the area um, or blood drive or whatever. Hutch citizens step up, and uh, it's great to see that they did it again. All right, Sands. Uh, you know the the state of the city message came out yesterday, Chief Burley, and uh, as part of that, they just go through all the statistics, um, and we put in our news story uh, that there. Was there's been a reduction in person crimes like like people assaults and uh, and and all the all the person type stuff but there's been a little bit of an uh, an increase in property crimes can you explain maybe some things that folks can do to uh, to a little bit better protect themselves in those areas sure yeah and thanks for having me today Nick uh, appreciate that I would like to thank everybody that did come out to the blood drive the battle of the of the badges, uh, that's very important. Congratulations to the fire department for taking the win, but obviously the importance is to get that blood in, and I thought the citizens did a great job on that. Yes, uh, we did find that the violent crimes, we had a, a really good decrease on the violent crimes, um, but we did have an uptick on uh, property crimes. Uh, we just, uh, we want to tell the citizens, you know, make sure that they take the extra steps out there to keep them their property safe and keep themselves safe. Uh, a few steps that they can do is just always make sure that, you know, especially this time of year during the wintertime, we do see an uptick of uh, vehicle thefts, and that's usually caused by people uh, starting their cars and then leaving them unattended. So that's one thing that can be done, making sure that you take all your valuables out, uh, especially at night when you get home from work, uh, keeping your doors locked on your car, and then as we just talked about a little bit, you know, utilizing technology to help keep you and your family safe. Uh, one of the big things that you can do is the ring doorbell cameras. Uh, it's not only great security for you and your family, but it's something that could pr prove to uh, be of high evidentiary value of locating the individual that might have committed a crime against the person. Um, I know that in some cities in Kansas, if you don't have remote start, leaving your car running is actually a crime in and of itself. Is that true in Hutch? No. Okay. Because um, I know at, when I was in Topeka, that actually, you could be cited just for that. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, that is true in a lot of cities, yes. But, yeah, I just was wanted to clarify that that's not the case yeah. here. But, uh, but the main thing is just to not leave the valuables in your vehicle. Um, 
Speaking generally, let alone if you've got it running. Yes, correct. Uh, If they usually can't see anything inside your car of value, then the most likely they're not going to even enter your car. Um, Worst case is if you take all your valuables out, uh, they might not even attempt to break a window, which also causes further damage to you. So just taking all those valuables out uh, will make you less of a target. Back to Police Chief Burley for just a second because uh, you all had a new police officer go through uh, the initial training at KLATC a couple of weeks ago and uh, that's uh, that's fairly standard. Has it gotten to the point now where you're doing that like as as soon as they get hired? How quickly does that turn around that they end up going down there? Yeah, uh, Officer Bodine just graduated from the KLTC uh, Basic Academy. Congratulations to him. Uh, when they come out of the police department, they usually spend around two to three weeks in-house um, getting their training completed, getting their uniforms, things of that nature, so we can send them off to the academy. The academy is about 14 weeks, well, it is 14 weeks long, um, depending if they have holiday breaks. But it, uh, after they complete the graduation, then he's going to be moving out on the street and completing about another another 14 weeks in the field training program. And then does he go with somebody then for that time? Yep, that field training program, he'll be assigned to a field training officer for those 14 weeks, making sure that he understands how to apply everything that he's learned. And then uh, then at that point, uh, he'll be released to a solo patrol. All right. And um, how many officers do you have right now? Do you still need more? Yes, we're still currently hiring. We still could use uh, good people out there that want to have a, a job in law enforcement be happy to um, reach out to us and we can help get you started on that all right and how many do you have typically on a shift uh, usually around five to six officers, including uh, one to two sergeants okay and uh, are you able to 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 fully staff that now with with proper rotation and vacations and things like that yes we are meeting our minimum staffing levels okay um so, Chief Beer, the next step in learning for those that get into the fire, to the police and fire service, is learning command and how to lead folks, not just to be the ones that are being led. And you guys had some leadership training out at uh, the fire training center here in recent days that uh, I know uh, you you were proud enough of it to post about it on Facebook. So it's pretty a pretty cool stuff for your guys. Yeah, Nick. Uh, you know, I think uh, I think it was called the uh, building character with leadership, and uh, we put all our officers through this on uh, Tuesday. But it's a six month program that they'll continue uh, to work on their leadership skills. And one of the biggest things for me as a chief is, uh, you know, you can have nice equipment, you can have the fire stations, all this type of stuff. But I, I truly believe our number one asset is our people, and I think a lot of businesses. Um, public entities forget about the people and uh, you have to understand that and truly understand what that means uh, for an organization and when you invest in your people um, the sky's the limit where we can go as an organization and I truly truly mentor that and foster that type of uh, environment in the fire department and I was proud to bring in this instructor he was a West Point graduate he had no background in the fire department but his leadership message was spot-on and uh, we'll continue to work on that. And uh, it just uh, it gives my men and women um, an opportunity to learn and grow. We are a young department. And so the more um, skills and abilities that I can give them this way, the better job they're going to do out in the field. Well, and it gives you a chance to do things like promote from within. I know uh, Chief Hayden retired, so I saw the, the nice plaque that the sheriff's office gave him. Um, but you're able to bring 
bring folks up through the ranks when you are able to teach them and keep them around. That's correct. Uh, I, I do have a, a pretty much uh, two new people in my command staff. Uh, we have Chad Allen that was promoted to battalion chief from a captain's rank, and uh, he stepped in that role on Blue Crew. Uh, in addition to that, uh, the existing battalion chief, Chief Unruh, uh, is now the oper- division of operations chief. And so, uh, again, to grow and mentor them individuals, and uh, it's a team approach. Uh, like I said, this week has been busy. Uh, we've been ha- having uh, numerous calls. I don't know if it's a nice weather, everybody's out and about, or what it is, but uh, we got a cloud over us right now. And uh, But every time we go on a structure fire, uh, my team were sitting in uh, my truck making game plans, working as a team shoulder to shoulder, and we're mentoring and coaching our younger individuals in these positions uh, because I'm not going to be here forever either. And, uh, and so to make sure that they have the skills and abilities to do their job, and when they do advance, they're ready to take on them positions. Well, and, and it's so important because uh, – the fire, the fire service, and police, and so on. Um, you all are competing for talent just the same way as any other employer is. Um, that having the best equipment is a great get them in the door, I guess is the way I would put it. But then when you have that leadership training and that ability to continue forward in your career, and for them to be able to see, I've got a path from. Uh, from being the one that rolls out of bed on a call at 2 in the morning to being the one that, uh, that helps make these command decisions, that, that's vitally important for someone who says, hey, I want to make a career of public service. Yeah, Nick, it's no secret. Uh, you know, I was brought in in 2017 for one reason, it was, it was the culture and to change the culture of HFD and stuff like that. And I think we've been able to have a positive impact on our organization, the community, our neighboring partners that we work with throughout the county. And uh, it's all about, uh, you know, tearing down walls and building bridges. And that's the mindset that we all have is uh, to do that. And uh, being uh, internationally accredited, uh, being an ISO Class 1 fire department, I think them are some of the draws at some of these younger individuals. And I'm happy to say, you know, we, we have zero openings. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's a good thing for the community and for us here when we have that. But uh, that doesn't happen overnight. you got to change that culture. you gotta, you got to – it takes years to do that. And I think we're in a good spot right now as an organization. Talk a little bit, uh, just real quickly, before we go to break at 7.30, and then I promise I'll give Chief Burley his due in the second half as well. But um, with Chief Hainan, one of of his main responsibilities was data collection and helping you guys achieve some of those goals in terms of the uh, the ISO and all that kind of stuff. How do you continue to use that even as you bring new people along? Oh, data. We're a totally data-driven organization, and uh, that's what I like to do. I just submitted the final uh, year-end report for 23 to city council here this week. We had a problem with some software actually extracting the data out of the system, but we finally got everything put together. But my job is to make sure city council, the commission, has the data to make informed, and I want to repeat that, informed decisions. I want to try to take the emotions out of the equation when they try to make a decision and let the data speak for itself. And so by becoming a, a good data-driven department, it's no different by putting the station up on North Main Street. That was 100% data-driven, and, it, and it's showing right now on the responses uh, by bringing that truck company up there and the call volumes, let the data speak for itself. Um, now this is a tough question, and maybe you don't have the data yet, but how, how well has that improved response times in the few months that you've had the station up there? 
dramatically. Uh, the secondary calls were out the door so much faster with a truck company up there, our fire responses. Uh, if we had a fire west of Main Street, anywhere west of Main Street, it took our, our truck four that was out at 11th and Halstead over 10 minutes to get on scene. Uh, them numbers have dram dropped dramatically, and uh, we're down to minutes uh, on our response time with our truck companies getting there. And I think the biggest thing, being one of our busy the busiest stations in the city, is that when a secondary call would come in on the north part of town here, we were sending engine 5 from Hendricks and 11th uh, or those engine 6 on Plum Street to take that call running inside the town here, like down to here or wherever. And now we have that truck company that can take that secondary call when somebody needs our help. Police Chief Bryce Burley and Fire Chief Steve Beer with us. And uh, Chief Burley, you and I were talking a little bit in the hall about there's just so much technology in the police vehicles these days. Uh, if you want to send information to an officer on what, uh, uh, say, you're looking for a vehicle, it's not like you have to key the radio and do all that these uh, these days. You can just send it all out via data, and, and then they can know immediately. Yeah, that's that great. It's a great topic to talk about. You know, we talked about how the citizens can utilize technology for themselves uh, because we utilize technology a lot, especially inside the cars. Uh, Chief Bear and I were just out in the hallway discussing um, our computers that we have inside of our cars and the amount of information that's at the fingertips for the firemen or the police officers is uh, fantastic. Uh, they can pull up pretty much anything that they need for that call at a moment's notice, which when they can do that, that also keeps uh, the radio freed up so emergency traffic can still go over the radio and they can have all the information that they need prior to arriving at the scene um, to make them as safe as possible and then to make them as efficient as possible as soon as they arrive on scene. Well, and the other thing is that when your officers are out driving around, they... Uh, it, they may come across things that uh, that you say to yourself, okay, yeah, now we've got to deal with this. Um, especially, you know, driving through neighborhoods and those kind of things. If, so, if somebody's broken into one of those vehicles like we talked about earlier um, and you find out about it while they're out patrolling, they can figure that out. Yes. Yes, they, uh, you know, and then we also, we're an intelligence-led uh, police department. We use uh, intelligence gathered by the officers, um, data gathered through uh, where, where crime's happening at, uh, where the calls are coming in, in from, and then what the citizens are saying uh, the crime is occurring at. Uh, we have a crime analyst inside the agency who gathers all that data and then pushes out the results to the officers so they have a better understanding of where the crime's located at. So it helps us guide our resources. Um, even though we have limited personnel, uh, we can guide them into those areas and target those areas that are ha experiencing high crime to hopefully uh, curb that. Well, and that's just it. Uh, I'm trying to remember the statistic that a previous chief told me, but uh, but it's like it happens um, not in, in – they say bad things and good things happen in threes, but it's like it happens in the same place uh, for a little while and then moves. Uh, it is is kind of the way that these crime stats work. At least it's the way it has been in Hutchinson. Sure, yes. Uh, th there is probability factors that you can figure in on uh, if sp where specific crime's happening at and determine it by probability of 
the likelihood that it will happen again in that specific area. And that's something that our crime analyst does uh, for us at the agency. Well, and, and then you'll put additional patrols there, and then that helps to tamp that down a little bit whenever you have to do that. Yes. Uh, that, that's all about – it's about the people and the locations. If you understand who's committing the crimes and the locations of where the crimes are being committed, you can be far more effective at uh, curbing the crime. All right. And as far as uh, – the new license plates that everybody fought about on social media and so on will they make your jobs easier as police officers is it, are they will they actually be easier to read does it make any difference i don't believe it makes any difference it's it's still the same procedures as far as uh, license plates go yeah. okay and so when you when you get ready when you're when your officer uh, decides to stop someone because they saw a traffic violation what information do they get before they ever get out of the car uh, they can have everything about the vehicle, uh, what type of vehicle it is, uh, the make, model, uh, the the VIN, if they would end up needing that. They'll also know who the register owner is, uh, the lien holder is on the vehicle, um, and then they can even check the person that's driving the vehicle before they even exit their vehicle on the name, date of birth, uh, address, and all their information as well before they could even get out. Okay, so so they can they they pretty well know um, unless the car is either stolen or being driven by somebody who doesn't have permission. They pretty well know who know who's behind the wheel before they ever walk to the window. I wouldn't say all the time, but they they can know that. Yes, either that information is retrieved through their uh, computers or through running it through dispatch. Yes, fair enough. It's yeah. seven fifty one at BW. More with the Chiefs coming up. Back on the BW Morning Show, Nick Gosnell and uh, Chief Bryce Burley, Police Chief in Hutchinson, and Chief Steve Beer, the Fire Chief here in the Salt City. And uh, Chief Beer, uh, we're in February, which uh, I don't know that there's any wildfire off season anymore, but but Wildfire Awareness Week is later on in the month. So, how, how is uh, mitigation working this year for the department? Yeah, we're a little bit behind. Obviously, uh, the last two and a half weeks, uh, definitely uh, there was no wildfire season, so we were happy with that. But, uh, you know, people say uh, with the snow on the ground, it's okay to burn. But what we still have, well, we still have brush fires. Uh, uh, the grass that's sticking through the snow on the rural areas will still burn when it's dry above the snow. And it's sort of weird looking at it when the snow is on the ground, but the top layer of grass is burning. Uh, you know, it still happens. And uh, yesterday, uh, we had a, a brush fire out on uh, Beeler Haven Road. Yesterday afternoon, we had that garage fire going on at the same time, and uh, it uh, burned a ditch out uh, from, I think, uh, I don't know, 4th or 9th Street up to 17th Street, basically, on Beeler Haven Road yesterday. Um, we're going to start our mitigation work tomorrow, Nick, um, and we have a plan in place where we're going to start on Inferness off of 30th Street there. We're going to, um, from 30th uh, up to maybe Spyglass up that way, we'll be burning off the east side of the road. And then from there, we're going to head out to actually uh, burn uh, the other side of uh, Beeler Haven Road. So uh, actually, uh, it was a, a godsend yesterday. Uh, I'm not sure how it happened yet. I haven't heard from the investigators what they found. But uh, we'll be burning the east side of Beeler Haven from 4th to 17th tomorrow morning, late afternoon. So I know uh, the uh, Department of Public Works, they have uh, signs out there already. I think it was the end of January through February 16th of uh, letting the public know 
that we'll be doing some burns out that way. I think uh, if the weather holds here in the next week, we have a spot on Avenue G. Uh, when we did our rounds this year, we believe uh, we're not going to burn on 30th Avenue there this year because uh, the grass is really mowed, and if you look at it, there's a lot of green grass coming in, and it's very thin, so we feel pretty good on that this year. So we're taking uh, a few different areas that uh, uh, need our attention a little bit more. Well, and that's interesting because I think it's important for people to know that just like everything else we've talked about, uh, Steve, it's data driven. It's it's this is what it looks like now. We're not going to do the same thing we did last year just because it's what we did last year. You're exactly right. We I have a map in my office that has an overlay of uh, 20 years worth of fire data and where these uh, wildfires cross the roads and history repeats itself. And so we're not just going out burning anywhere we want to burn. We actually let the data speak for itself, and we try to catch these anchor points that if something does happen out these areas that we can anchor off of and actually put up a defendable firefight. Well, and you had uh, the wildfire folks from the Kansas Forest Service come visit city council here a few weeks back. Um, How closely do you all work during wildfire season? Oh, that's a great question, Nick. And uh, actually, the Kansas Forestry Service, um, Rodney Redinger, uh, he's a field agent, and uh, he actually has an office out by my office in our building out on Forest Street. So we see Rodney every day, and so we get the latest and greatest information on a daily basis. And uh, when weather changes in that, uh, anytime there's a red flag day at 7 o'clock in the morning, emergency management, uh, Reno County uh, Fire Department uh, Administrator, Rodney, my staff, we all get together and we game plan that day out of what it potentially could look like and the issues that we're going to face. And so we pretty much pre-plan every one of our red flag days of uh, the resources that we have available for us and what that day looks like. So uh, we're very proactive, uh, I I believe, in uh, Reno County here. Um, But it's not going to change. You know, it's just uh, our wildfires are going to continue and we need the citizens' help. And, and going back to your original question here with the city council, is that we, it's not just a county issue. It's the perimeter of Hutchinson. We have over 6,000 acres in the, actually in the city that are considered very high risk. Okay. And so that's something that, uh, that even on the city side they need to be paying attention to. Is there grant money for folks who say, okay, I understand now that we need to do this work. I don't know how to afford to get the cedars out of my land, that kind of thing. Do you guys have any of that yet? We're working on it, Nick. Uh, we have two grants out there right now. Ever, every year since I've been here, we've been putting in grants. Um, some of the, the grants, um, some uh, whether it's, uh, oh, there's sometimes there's match money, and that's probably the biggest thing is uh, there's a difference view of opinion, whether the private citizen should pick up that matching fund or if the county should pick up that matching fund or have funds uh, set aside to help mitigate some of these issues. And uh, I think that's where some of the struggle is, where people's uh, difference of opinion may be. Uh, but you got to look back. When you look back 20 years, 40 years of Reno County, and especially around Hutch and the area here, it was all pasture. There's hardly any trees in the maps that you see, and especially the cedar trees. And now when you overlay the map today, and if we don't do something, another 20 years down the road, 40 years down the road, uh, it, it's the problem is not going away. And we got to educate, and I can't say that enough, educate our homeowners about what they can do to help make their house a defendable property. All right. So 
if somebody calls and says, I just bought a place out here on that 6,000, somewhere in that 6,000 acres you were talking about, I want to know what my risk is. Um, what can you guys do to help? Yeah, that's a great question, too. Please call my fire marshal, uh, Mike Kane, and uh, his staff will take care of you. You can actually go on our website. We have our risk assessment form on there. If you don't feel comfortable with us coming out and uh, assisting you, you can score your own property, and uh, you'll get a uh, exact score of what the way we would score it. Uh, if you allow us to come out, we'll tell you, hey, we're not asking everybody to cut down every single tree on your property. That's not what we're asking. But maybe you can, if you're in a high-risk area, maybe you change out the, the landscape around your house. Maybe it's wood, cedar shavings around. Maybe put some landscape rock in instead of the wood chips. Uh, maybe you take down this tree but keep this tree here. We're going to point out different things that you can do as a homeowner to help us get that 100-foot perimeter around your house. And that's all we're asking is to maintain a 100-foot defendable space because then we can push the fire around the properties. Well, and that's so important because once you get into having to fight uh, ongoing fires with pro- with not just property, but uh, but houses and things like that, then it really becomes difficult. And, um, and there are just certain areas that if they haven't been properly mitigated, uh, you can't get a defendable position. And I think that's the key point here is that with uh, no, it goes back into planning and zoning. There's no defendable, uh, you know, not a lot of rules and regulations. And so a lot of people moving from the city want to farm at five to ten acres. They want to have the chickens, the horse. But it takes the equipment, the tractors, the mowers to maintain your property. And a lot of people just don't have that equipment. 